Good morning, New Life. Welcome to Sunday morning service this morning. My name is Greg. Good morning, Kevin. <laughs> my buddy's out there. Um, thank you so much for coming. Uh, this is my uh, person who needs no introduction, Joanna, and I will uh, let her take the next step. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> good morning. It is just so good to see everybody. And I just wanted this morning to do just a special shout out to those of you watching online. And we are just so thankful for our online community and that we have the opportunity when we want to or we need to to stay at home. And I was um, in Dallas not too long ago, and I am a fairly normal person, I think, but um, I'm in the airport, and um, that's when I just kind of lose my mind if I'm going to be in the airplane or the airport. And my husband compares it to flying with a toddler. That's okay. So I'm in the airport and getting ready to board. And I get nervous. I look out at the airplane and make sure that the tires or whatever wheels have air in them. Um, I'm just looking things over. And I know God has me, but sometimes he might need help for that. Anyway, um, there's a couple that's sitting in the airport and they're smiling at me. I'm thinking, oh no, do they know me? Do I just look like I'm crazy? What am I going to do? And my husband's like, it's fine. So we get into the airplane and again, um, he puts on my seatbelt for me and gets me snacks because I'm a toddler in the airplane. And the couple walks by and they, this time they wave at me and I'm like, oh no, how do I know them? Um, anyway, I don't, I just am like, okay, you have to act normal if somebody, you know, somebody knows you. So um, we land and um, we get into San Luis and I don't like rush the pilot, but I'm one of the first off the plane every time. And I get in there and there's this couple and they said, oh, we go to New Life. Actually, we watch online and it's so nice to meet you. And I'm like, oh, so that's just like such a great reminder. First of all, you have to behave yourself wherever you go. <laughs> Secondly, just how great it is to have an online community. And this morning, I just want to shout out to the people that we know are watching in Florida and Georgia and Los Osos and Riverside and wherever you are, even if you're at home and decided just to stay in your jammies today, would you let us know where you're watching from? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. <laughs> I had not heard that story before, and uh, that went on way longer than I thought it was going to. Uh, so because of the weather that we have today, all of the stuff that we normally have outdoors is indoors. Uh, we also uh, want you to know that the ministry fair, this is the last Sunday of the ministry fair, so go by and visit those uh, uh, stations as you're out there as well. Um, all of the snacks and coffee and all of that is also in the lobby. If you are a first-timer, our Connection Central uh, booths will also be inside. They are, there are people there that are very excited to meet you. If you're a first-timer, introduce yourself. Let them know, um, you know that this is the first time, and they'll have uh, some good information for you. So as you stand this morning uh, with keeping the rain in mind, are you a puddle person or a puzzle person?
Good morning, New Life. My name is Molly. I'm one of the worship leaders here, and I picked a new song for us today. Um, it's called Faithful to the End, um, so I just wanted to do a little intro about it. Um, the chorus goes, um, I will sing of all you've done, and I'll remember how far you carried me. From beginning to the end, you are faithful, faithful to the end. And so that's just a really simple, beautiful chorus that we're going to be singing today. So I just want us to remember how faithful the Lord has been in our lives. Remember and recall all the times that he was faithful, that he was there, that he didn't leave your side, that he was helpful for you. Or if you're even in a moment right now, you're like, God, I need you to be faithful. I need you to come through. I need you to show me where you are. I just pray that this song brings you hope and brings you endurance for your season that you're in. So let's go ahead and sing this song.
choose you. Would you help us? Would you open our eyes to the areas that you're calling us to, Lord? Would you open our eyes to the people who need more of you, God? We choose you. We choose you when it's hard. We choose you when it's easy. We choose you. So would you just open our eyes, open our hearts to the ways that you are moving and to the ways that you are calling us to be more like you. Amen. Good morning. You may take a seat while I invite the ushers forward to receive the offering this morning. As the ushers are coming forward, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. So we have a prayer that I am going to read today, hopefully, maybe, in a moment. I could just wing it, but I would rather not. Okay, got it. Gracious Heavenly Father, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we gather with hearts filled with compassion and respect for the gift of life. We seek your guidance in fostering a culture that cherishes every individual born and unborn. Grant us wisdom to approach the complexities of life with empathy and understanding. May our actions and words reflect the behavior of Jesus, promoting a world where all life is honored. Amen. Okay, um, we have a really wonderful church family here, and we enjoy the opportunities to be together, to worship God, to have fellowship. And coming up, we have an opportunity for our women of new life. We have a Galentine's brunch. So in the past, we've done a Christmas brunch, and we changed it up this past season, and we are doing a Galentine's brunch. So it is happening on February 10th in the morning from about 9.30 to noon. It's $15. We invite you to invite your friends. We would love to see a multi-generational brunch. We want junior high, or junior high girls coming with their moms, aunts, whatever woman is influential in their life. We want our youth to be there and experience this event as well. We have a guest speaker coming in, and we have some pretty fun giveaways that we have been putting together. And the earlier you register, the more entries you get for the giveaways. And we already have over 70 people registered, so it's gonna be an amazing morning, and we would love for you to be there. We also, before Galentine's on February 4th, are having our next Celebration Sunday. So if you have not been here for a Celebration Sunday before, they are really exciting. We have child dedications. So if you have a kiddo that you would like to dedicate their life to the Lord and have the church say that they're going to walk alongside you, raising them to know and love Jesus, then we invite you to sign up It's not just for babies, it's child dedication. So if you have a child you would like to dedicate, baby or a little older, please sign up and we wanna celebrate that with you. And also we do baptisms on Celebration Sunday. So um, Pastor David's gonna talk a little bit more about that, but on February 4th, maybe that's your day. That's your day that you wanna proclaim to your church family that you have accepted Jesus as Lord of your life. 
And if you want a little more information about that, next Sunday, the 28th, in between services, just come down to the front and we'll have a little baptism informational meeting and share with you what that Sunday will look like and get you all set up and all of that. So we would love to pray over you and just share what that looks like. So please join us for Celebration Sunday in a couple of weeks. As we get ready for the message this morning, I'm going to read. This is really difficult to do with one hand. Just kidding. Okay. I'm going to be reading. Why don't you stand as we read from the word, please? I'm going to be reading from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 15. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, God, your words are so often just counterintuitive, countercultural, and yet they're so life-giving. They breathe life into us. And so, God, I pray, as we find ourselves gathered here today, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you sift through the messages that we think are life-giving? Would you sift through the messages that sometimes we run to out of fear or frustration or anger? And God, would you meet us right where we are, and would you breathe new life into us? Would you shape us that rather than looking like the kingdoms of this world, we would look like citizens of your kingdom? And we ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, if you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, 
Um, we are in a series called Known For It, and really the premise of the series is uh, recognizing that we are walking through um, 2024, which is a election cycle, um, and I don't know about you, maybe you were a part of the church in 2020 or 2016 or any number of uh, election years, or maybe you're brand new to the life of the church, but I can share with you, and we'll be fully transparent, that navigating election season cycles in the life of the church was just as gnarly as it was in the world. And that's what we don't want to look like this coming year. We want to be known for something radically different. We want to be known as citizens of the kingdom of God. We want to be known for Jesus. When all is said and done, yes, somebody is going to be elected. And yet, we want to be known for the good news of Jesus Christ. And so one of the premises, again, that we kind of began with was uh, from the book of Mark when James and John are arguing about who will be greatest in the kingdom of God. And I feel like sometimes that's what these election cycles are, feel like. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of this earth? Um, and who's going to kind of have the power and have the authority? And Jesus reminds J James and John, and he reminds his disciples, and he reminds us. And he uses this phrase, which I think is so powerful and we should keep before us. Among us, it will be different. We will not lord power over the people that we uh, are in charge of. We will not use our position and authority in order to push people down. Among us, it will be different. And you might be asking, how will it be different? Glad you asked. That we will be servants of all. That we will be slaves of all. And now you might be asking, okay, David, that sounds nice, or that sounds like something that Jesus would, said, would say, but how do we do that? Well, we talked about last week this idea that we will love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And it is actually impossible to love God without loving neighbor. You cannot disconnect those two things. If you are going to love God, then you are compelled to love your neighbor. Even more so, Jesus' words are challenging, that we will love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. This is what it looks like to live into the reality of Jesus. And then if you read throughout the entirety of the New Testament and you read the letters of Paul, you begin to realize how really difficult and challenging this actually is. In fact, if you do kind of just a quick read of the New Testament, you begin to realize that the church from its earliest days struggled to love one another and to reflect, um, the, the church to reflect being Jesus's disciples. But what we learn along the way is that while difference is inevitable, division is a choice. You are not going to agree with everybody on every single thing. You are not going to agree with everybody on every, everything politically. You are not going to agree with everybody in terms of interpretation on everything theologically. You are not even going to cheer for the same football teams, although I have some happy 49er fans today. <laughs> you, you find yourself navigating this world... And you understand that there is going to be differences, but division is a choice. And yet the temptation of the ideologies and power structures of our particular day is to divide, is to, to, is to move into tribalism, is to protect your own, is to find out how you can have the power and make sure that everybody else is in check. And to be honest, this starts really, really young. 
Do you remember the feeling of walking into the lunchroom in middle school for the very first time and trying to figure out the power structures of Blendon Middle School? That was mine. Where do I sit? Who is my tribe? Where do I connect? Or maybe you remember being lined up on a wall, getting ready to be picked for teams, and just praying that somebody wanted you on their tribe. We know that feeling. And it causes this fear, this fight or flight feeling to rear up in us. Do you remember the mean girl politics? Some of you, man, those are wounds. I apologize. In Jesus' name, heal that wound right now, (laughs) right? Like, we know those feelings. And we would think as we get older that we would just kind of grow and mature and evolve and all these types of things. And yet, when we find ourselves in adult politics, some of those same tactics begin to happen. Let's line everybody up and choose tribes. Let's find ourselves ways of being empowered and authority and keep those that we believe are not worthy of being in our tribe or think differently than us to push them away. Tribalism breeds fear. And so how will we One of the questions we ask ourselves is, how will we ever get ahead? Like, we know this. We know the downfalls of it. We know the wounds that it's caused us. And yet, when we look around, we begin asking us, okay, I understand what you're saying, David, but how will we get ahead if we don't act like that? Because everybody else acts like that, so we should act like that, too. Otherwise, we will get squashed. And so we operate out of fear, but Jesus' word says that perfect love casts out all fear. So how do we operate? How, what is the invitation? And let me suggest to you that Jesus invites us to live now like we will live later. And that can be a confusing sentence or message, so let's unpack it a little bit. To live into reality of Jesus as king, his kingdom is at hand, he says again and again and again. To live in the present, let me say it this way, To live in the present in a way that will only make sense in his preferred future. To live now in a way that will only be fully understand when Jesus returns and all things are underneath his authority. And you're like, hold on, that sounds a little bit difficult. It's challenging, and yet we do this in other areas of our lives. When you are in a season of preparation, you go to college, you have this career path. You go to med school, you have this career path. You enter an apprenticeship in one of the trades, and you have this career path. And you don't have the fullness of that employment and the fullness of that knowledge yet, and yet you begin to operate as if you do. You begin to prepare and live for the kind of already not yet world that you are entering into. And so we understand what this is. Hopefully you do this and again, all areas like when I learned that Dana was pregnant with Alexandra, all of a sudden we had to prepare and start acting as if the baby was already there because there was decisions to be made and things to get bought and, and parties to be hosted and different financial decisions to happen in order to do that. 
When you begin to realize that you're inching towards retirement, hopefully you made preparations long ago, but you begin to prepare differently. You're not retired yet, and yet you begin operating as if, hey, what will it be like when I am fully retired? And so we do this in other areas of our life, and we have to recognize that the kingdom of God is one of those particular areas where we begin to lean into the reality of the kingdom. We begin to lean into who Jesus is and who he has called us to be before we fully understand it and we believe with boldness that what the world tells us is upside down living odd weird different actually is right side up and will make full sense when Jesus returns we do this and we navigate our lives and try to figure out what does it look like for our generations, for our people to live out and understand this kingdom language. If you were thinking about the message of Jesus, and you were thinking about what his central message is, the message that maybe you were taught from the time that you were small, or maybe it's the message you're trying to navigate right now as you're just curious about Jesus, about his teachings, about what it actually means for your life. If you're thinking about this idea of who Jesus is, many people would have different ideas about what the central message of Jesus was. Was it to um, receive Jesus into your heart? Some of us were raised with that particular understanding. Is it to just simply obey Jesus? But the central message of Jesus again and and again, which includes a love of God, which includes a love of other people, which includes salvation and completely surrendering our lives to him. But the central message, which is so key because it's all encompassing, is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Over and over again, from his disciples to those who are far from him, for those who are in the midst, in the trenches of sin, Jesus calls individuals to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This idea of repent, change your way of living, change your way of thinking, move from understanding life in, in, um, in terms of the patterns of this world, in terms of the kingdoms of this world, and begin to understand life, begin to understand your relationships, begin to understand um, how you interact with your neighbor, begin to understand who you are and your identity in terms of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. In the book of Matthew, as we are um, kind of going to unpack this particular text, the idea of the kingdom of heaven, if you're not familiar with scripture, is the same where Jesus says in other gospels, the kingdom of God. So why does Matthew use the kingdom of heaven? Because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And that Jewish audience would not write out the name of God or even speak the name of God. And so they're not two separate messages as if somehow Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God in certain gospels and the kingdom of heaven in other gospels. It is the same central message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is where things are going to get maybe a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. What is, it, what is the kingdom of heaven not? It is not the place you go when you die. Let me say that again. 
It is not the place you go when you die, and it's not the place that's somehow somewhere else. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is crashing into the kingdom of earth, and we begin to see evidence of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. As Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't say, hey, pray that one day when we all get somewhere else, when we all get to heaven. No, the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth as it is in heaven. It is always here and now. It is always present. It is always at hand. The challenge is that there is more than one kingdom at play right now. There's more than one kingdom that's vying for power. There's more than one kingdom that's vying for positions. The kingdoms of earth, the kingdoms of this world are living in defiance to the kingdom of heaven that's coming to earth. Stay with me. I know. It's like theology 101 right now. The challenge is that the kingdom of heaven is coming in bits and pieces. On February 4th, we will dedicate children. And when we dedicate those children to know and to love God, we will say there, right there, evidence that the kingdom of God is coming to earth. When people are baptized on February 4th and they come out of that water, evidence that the kingdom of heaven is near. When we begin to see people this past week on a Tuesday, we used to serve 95 families in a week or in two weeks. We, say we served 95 families through our pantry in one night. The kingdom of heaven has come near and is good news for those whose bellies are hungry. God sees them. The kingdom of heaven is near. And one day, and this is really good news, one day when Jesus returns, the kingdom of heaven will not be in bits and pieces and just highlights here and there, but his rule will cover all the earth and make all things new. Did you ever think about this? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is always growing not shrinking. Well, well, hold on a second, Pastor. I, are you sure about that? Well, Jesus says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that enlivens and grows bread, right? It's expanding, it's moving, it's growing all the time. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that begins small in bits and pieces but begins to grow to the point where birds can now nest in its branches. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is growing what this does is it pushes back against the media mantra and some of the secular ideas of this world, which says, and even some pastors and preachers and Christian theology that says the world is simply just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. That is misleading theology and it's a misleading news cycle. 
kingdom of heaven is expanding. And we are living in the last days. Oh, hold on. Are you making a prophecy here? Nope. Because in Acts chapter two, Peter stands up and he preaches to the multitudes. And when he does, he quotes the prophet Joel. And he says, in that moment, we are living in the last days. And so since AD 33, guess what we have been doing? Living in the last days. Every generation is going to interpret their worldview if they are following Jesus and understand it, that we are always living in the last days because we do not know the time or the day when Jesus will return and make all things new. So we're always living in the last days. There is a time between the resurrection when Jesus walks out of his tomb and announces the kingdom of God is truly at hand and it's breaking into the kingdom of earth. There's a time between that moment and when Jesus returns and throughout the scriptures and throughout church history has been known as the last days. Now some of you are thinking, hold on a second pastor, but I see evil all around me. I see evil in every country. I see evil in our own country. I see evil in my own life. I see evil happening around our community. There is evil all around the world. And yes, there is. And people tend to, again, because of the news cycle, because of what they feed themselves, they assume that we are living in the world's darkest of dark moments, but not so fast. Not so. Read history. If you are a student of history, you begin to realize that down throughout history, People were persecuted and people were put to death for their skin color and people were ostracized because of their beliefs and people were placed in concentration camps and people were uh, tribalized themselves and kingdoms battle one another in some of the most uh, atrocious ways possible. Make no mistake, evil is significant But these days are no darker than the other days that we have lived through in human history. It is a lie of um, just really misleading theology that somehow it's going to just get worse and worse and worse and worse. So what has changed? What makes us feel? And I I would suggest that. We feel like it's the darkest days we've ever lived in. I would say modern technology has a lot to do with this. We are more connected than ever before. We are aware of more than we ever have been before. And actually your soul and my soul was not created to deal with that much evil and knowing about that much evil. And so the weight may be heavier than ever before. And in my study, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And prompted me, and maybe this won't be as powerful for you, but it was powerful for me. We read that passage from Paul that says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, right? And we often think about those patterns being behaviors that we do, like you should do this or you shouldn't do this. That's the pattern. But let me suggest to you that one of the greatest patterns of our world that we are giving ourselves to and almost to the point of idolatry is the algorithm, The Spirit just spoke to me and just said, David, 
people don't view this as a pattern of this world. And yet, if you read about how algorithms work, it controls the, what media that we feed ourselves with and it enhances what media and we only hear this perspective or this perspective and it goes on and on and on. It starts to navigate and point us towards things and patterns that it wants us to do. Now, should we be afraid of technology? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we should be aware of it. And when you spend an exorbitant amount of time scrolling through your feed, can I tell you something? You will be shaped in the patterns of this world. I'm praying the Holy Spirit checks some of us today, convicts some of us today. Yes, it's easy to think that everything is getting worse and worse in terms of the kingdom of God. And yet, if you are a student or if you read about what's happening in the global church today, um, the kingdom of God is expanding and moving and growing in places like South, South America, in places like Africa, in places like the Middle East, in places like China. Like It's like spreading like wildfire throughout the world. The kingdom of God is growing one generation ago, there was right near, there was near, so in my lifetime, from the time that I was born, uh, four decades ago, there was one million followers of Jesus in China. Current statistics tell us not what the Chinese government is reporting, but what we know as the underground church. There is over 120 million Chinese Christians in one generation. The kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is expanding. People are finding themselves surrendering their lives to Jesus. Don't believe what the media and other secular world views will tell you. You are part of the greatest Jesus movement in history. And so don't abandon or trade in your part of that movement of God, that movement of Jesus for a political savior who will be a flash in the pan. Who will only be a four-year problem solver for you or possibly an eight-year. The reality is that Jesus, who was raised from the dead, is alive and well. And according to scripture, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in the church. Where do you want to place your hope, church? Why is this perspective so vital? Well, if you have a doom and gloom understanding of the world, it's easy to give up, to barricade yourself, to hide. It's easy to give in, to look for other saviors to solve the problems that only Jesus can solve. And it's easy to get cynical, to get angry, to blame everybody else and to hold everybody else at a distance. But what if Jesus shows up on the central coast and begins to move and restore and we recognize that his spirit is active and present? What would happen if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead took hold of the church, not just New Life, but the church, capital C, churches on the central coast? Anything would be possible. And this is exactly what the early church leaned into. They adopted the way of Jesus. 
They adopted Jesus's life. They began to do good for outsiders, for people who didn't believe like them and think like them and act like them. They began to love others knowing that that was not going to be reciprocated to them. And guess what the culture said? That's weak. That's weak. And yet, throughout the Roman Empire, the church began to take this radical position where they brought in children who were maybe from pagan cultures in other uh, areas and just on the streets. They began to adopt in a, in, in these children into their midst because they weren't just kind people, but they believed deep in their bones that everyone mattered because everyone is created in the image of God. And they had this compelling vision to love others as they had been loved by God. But I get it, this is not easy. As we talked last, last week, we're not talking about kumbaya experiences and everything is easy. In fact, it's why the scriptures say, do not become weary of doing good. The reason we're reminded of that is because God knows that we can become weary of doing good. And so if you're exhausted, if you feel the weight of doing good in a world and it just seems easier to act like everybody else, you are not the only one. You are not alone. I, as your pastor, even at times wanted to say, you know what, is it really all worth it? Why not just act like everybody else? Why not just like have that sharp tongue? Why not just put people in their place? Why should we look any different? Students and adults and college students and wherever you find yourself in your life stage, it gets exhausting to run and drive in the opposite direction of culture. It gets weary and you get fearful. And things feel uncertain. But you are called to be salt. And I am called to be salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. Actually, a southern translation would be better. Y'all, the salt of the earth. Because it's both a singular and a plural you in this particular context. So what does salt do? It brings flavor and taste. Fascinating thing. Now, you know, this is stuff that I've read. And so if I am wrong and you are a chef, you will come correct me afterwards. But my understanding is when you salt your food, you do not want to taste the salt. The salt's purpose is to bring out the fullness of flavors from the food you are eating. So the salt shouldn't be what you taste, but you taste the full flavor of the food. And so as the people of God, when we're called to be salt of the earth, we are called to to bring out the flavors of the kingdom, what is buried underneath, what people may not fully understand, we rise to the forefront and all of a sudden they begin to say, what is this kingdom that I'm tasting? What is this thing that I don't quite understand? Saul also within the biblical context, it keeps things from going um, from good to bad. It's preservation. 
It has a preservative framework that salt has, and so or, or uh, essence, and so people use it to preserve food. Now, when we think about in the world, everybody is asking themselves, how do we preserve the kingdom of God? How do we preserve the world? And there's a couple different ways that Christians are going about this. For some Christians, they are using, in my opinion, the tactics of this world, which is a top-down understanding of how to keep that preservation. If we just get the right political leaders in power, if we just get the right people in power, then all of a sudden we'll preserve what God wants to do in America. We'll preserve what God wants to do in this world. Others have a bottom-up understanding. A bottom-up understanding would say, hey, we need to be revolutionary. We need to usurp the powers of this world in order to um, overthrow the powers of this world because justice is what we need. And so in the tactics of this world, which many Christians have adopted, unfortunately, in my opinion, it's either top-down or bottom-up. But can I tell you something? Our Jesus is different, and he doesn't work top-down, and he doesn't work bottom-up. He works inside-out. The Holy Spirit begins to transform the people of God. And as he transforms us and empowers us and strengthens us, and we begin to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of a sudden we begin to reflect the kingdom of God to others. This is where we are called to live. All of a sudden we begin to be salt. Third area of salt, and this one is maybe one of my favorites. Salt makes you thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. When you're parched, when you run, when you hike, when you're in the ocean and you drink a bunch of salt water, what do you want? A fresh glass of water. Salt makes you thirsty thirsty church when people who are not of are not of the kingdom of God and who are not following Jesus when they look at our lives do they get thirsty I mean think about it this way how were you introduced to Jesus I mean there's a variety of ways that we can be introduced to Jesus but I would imagine for the most of us it sounds something like this there was this guy there was this girl and I saw something in them that was different and I began to thirst or hunger or maybe they wouldn't use words quite like that but I began to want what they had I wanted to know more about it I saw something different in him or her and I wanted to know about what was different. Church, are we living in such a way that we make others thirsty for Jesus? The second y'all. Y'all the light of the world. Y'all the light of the world. Was coming back from Atlanta, I had to do some um, training and uh, learning in Atlanta for our denomination. And uh, as I was coming back into San Luis Obispo, if you've ever flown over our foothills, specifically coming from Denver, it is really, really dark as you go over those foothills. And then all of a sudden, you begin to see the lights of our city. And in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of what is barren and quiet and dark and somewhat scary, like, again, I, I'm an overprocessor sometimes, and so I begin to think, hey, if I was by myself in those foothills, what coyotes would be out there? 
what rattlesnakes would be out there. What, but then as I get closer and closer, I see the city lights and I know that those lights represent life and those lights represent where I live and those lights represent my home and those lights represent connect, reconnecting with my family, not only my immediate family, but my church family. Lights draw you to the city. And it was the same imagery that Jesus wanted his disciples and those who would come after his disciples to have, that they were looking for lights. And it wasn't just a person, but it was a city that drew people to Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that salt and light have opposite metaphors. Opposite metaphors here. It's not saying the same thing. Sometimes Jesus or sometimes the New Testament writers or sometimes the Old Testament writers are redundant, meaning they say it several different ways, but it all means the same thing. But in this particular instance, it's not being redundant. It's actually saying different things because think of it like this. When you have salt, it's only good when it's spread out. You do not want to take a big bite of salt all in one place. Salt is most effective to preserve when it's spread out. Salt is most, most effective when it brings out flavor, when it is spread out. When it's all in one place, it is not, doesn't make the impact that it's designed to make. However, light is the exact opposite. Light is most effective, most impactful when it all comes together. And so you have a bunch of lights in different places. If they all come together in one place, all of a sudden it shines more significantly and opens up our understanding of that particular place. And so the people of God should, should both be um, salt when we're scattered. When we're the scattered community, we should be salt and spread out throughout our community. And when we come together and we are loving one another, we should be a city on the hill. Light. We are both salt and light. So how do we do this? What are some ways that we live into this reality of being both salt and life? A couple of ways. First of all, and I know some of you are going to push back and like, really? That sounds so simple. Prayer. Prayer is the primary way we bring the reign of God back to earth. You're like, no, 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 no. The primary way is by action. Nope. Not according to scripture. According to scripture, the disciples don't Ask Jesus, teach us how to act. Teach us how to do. What they say is, teach us how to pray. And when they ask that question, Jesus goes on to teach them that when you pray, you bring the kingdom of God into the kingdom of earth. So the primary way for us to be salt and light is to be a people of prayer. It is not an extra it is not maybe if you think about it. It is not, hey, I'll get around to it. It is beginning our day and ending our night and throughout the day, communion with God and recognizing that as we have communion with God, he will shape our minds and he will shape our thoughts and he will shape our actions and we collectively will bring, even in supernatural ways through the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. Here's the challenge major challenge. If that's the case, then one of the ways that we can live into this idea 
to be Jesus-y to people who don't think like us, act like us, and believe like us is to, guess what, pray for them. I hear a lot of people say, hey, when my person gets elected, I'm going to pray for them. Well, what about when your person doesn't get elected? Will you pray for that person? What about when things don't go your way? Will you pray for that person? Number two, that we would one another, one another. Some of you who have been at New Life a really long time have heard me use this phrase before, but I think that we have enough of us that are new that I wanted to remind us of it, that we will one another, one another. Paul, throughout the New Testament, teaches us how to love one another and bear with one another and forgive one another, that we will one another, one another. Disagreement is not a sign in of itself that the Christian community has failed. Rather, it's the desire to destroy one another that causes failure in the Christian community or to destroy others. And so church, throughout the New Testament, we, if we wanna be salt and light, we have to learn how to love, love one another and bear with one another and forgive one another and to do the difficult. The, the world will never see a perfect church till Christ returns and all things are made new. So we're not going for a perfect church, we're going for a redemptive church where they see us living as the disciples of Jesus where others see us living as the disciples of Jesus. Number three, slow to speak and quick to listen. Or in the David Hutsko translation, thou shalt not be a jerk. We have to navigate our conversations. We have to remind ourselves that words, according to scripture, not according to David, but according to scripture, have the power to give life and to give death. And not just words that are spoken, but words that are written and posted. And quite honestly, live on just as long, if not longer, on the internet than they do in the real world. You can't hate people and engage people with the gospel at the same time. It is impossible for us to hate people and engage people with the gospel at the same time. So, question to ask yourself. Do I wanna win the argument or do I wanna win a friend in this particular moment? Because you can win a friend that you don't agree with how they vote and you don't agree on policy together and they might live a different lifestyle than you, but you can win a friend even if you're not willing to put somebody in their place, or if you're not willing to uh, put somebody in their place or push on them or be a jerk in that particular moment, you could win a friend even if they don't come over to your side. In fact, as a reminder, it's not our job to change people's lives. It's our calling, our job to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's what the command is. It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to transform the human heart. You will never transform the human heart. You're calling us to be salt and light. Number four, live out your convictions. This is not a series that says, I have these convictions and I'm, not, I'm supposed to suppress them. I don't know what to do with them. That's not what this series is about. This series is about how to place Jesus first and to see our convictions in Jesus through the lens of Jesus and his kingdom. One of the things I will challenge you to do is to get beneath the surface 
of your convictions? What are the theological convictions, not just the policy convictions or the party soundbite convictions? Why do you actually believe what you believe? And don't just take for granted that somebody uh, partnered a policy with a proof text from the Bible and somehow that's the answer. No, there are theological convictions that God has called us to. Let me give you an example. All people, not just some people, all people are created in the image of God. How does that shape our understanding of all things? Not just some things, not just the, the, the policy or the party line. How does it begin to shape all things? What is the theological framework that's underneath, underneath the surface that some of us have never thought about? All, we have spent more time listening to political parties on policy than understanding the theological framework that God has called us to. And if you want to have rich conversations with people who don't think like you and act like you, stop giving them the counterpoint to their political party and start giving them the word of God and what God's word says in the theological framework. So when somebody says, hey, I vote differently than you, why do you vote for this party and why do you think this particular way? I don't start with the party line. I start with because people are created in the image of God and my understanding says this. Why do you push, push back on or you, or you critique your party? Because people were created in the image of God and my party doesn't always get it right. We can be advocates. Advocates for our deeply held convictions. Write your representatives. Not just when you think they're doing what is right and even when they're I think we vote somebody into office often and we never hold them accountable as a Christian, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat. We don't hold them accountable as a Christian. It is good to disagree, have honest disagreement with your party and advocate for the kingdom of God, not just for your party line. Have that understanding that you can push back on it. It's also good to advocate in ways that your vote is not your only advocate. Why do we have our partner ministries out here like Lifeline and Pathways and we have FCA and we had um, Young Life out here and we partner with other organizations throughout our community and around the world. Um, world Vision is out there because we don't, want it, we don't want to leave everything to a single vote or a, uh, a, a, a it's going to go our way or, the, or another way. We want to be, I'm about the kingdom of God no matter who is in office. I want to see the kingdom of God come to earth no matter who is in office. And so I live out my convictions. And last but not least, last but not least, cast your vote. Cast your vote. Some of you, I just shocked you right there. You think I'm just telling you not to vote. No, cast your vote. We live in a country that's very unique. And we didn't always get it right as a country. If you're not aware... It wasn't until 1870 until black men had the ability to vote in our country. And I said that correctly, men. And even after that, there were all kinds of systems and processes that were put in place to try to keep black men from voting. 1920, women are given the right to vote. 
wasn't until 1965, many of you were alive during that time, 1965, before we began to get a handle on some of those regulations that were keeping people of color from voting and started saying, hey, you know what? This is not okay. This is not who we want to be. And so I'm not, I believe that we have an opportunity to vote. It is just in a series of things that I am concerned with, it's number five that I want to be concerned with. I want to be concerned with first and foremost, following Jesus. Secondly, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I want to be an advocate regardless of who is, but yes, please go and vote. Live out your convictions. Final thing, to be salt and light, you have to die. To be salt and light, you have to die. On February 4th, we're gonna baptize individuals. And when we baptize individuals, what we're representing is that they are going from death to life. They are buried with the sin and brokenness and kingdoms of this world. And they come alive as they come out of that water as, a, as one who has been resurrected by the power of Jesus. And they are no longer a citizen of, these, of the kingdoms of this world. They are a new citizen. And when, when political powers in the early church saw that people were baptized, they were not only persecuted, but they were martyred because they knew they would live in such a radically different way and that their king was not Caesar, but it was Jesus. And so if you're asking yourself, hey, what's a step that I can make in order to live into this reality that Jesus is king and to live into the reality of of who we are, it's baptism. Be baptized. Allow the old you and the old way of thinking. Repent and be baptized and live into the reality of who Jesus is in his kingdom. And then Jesus also institutes a meal for us to have that would be a meal that represents. So like if you came to the Hutzkos for a family reunion or you came to the Basham, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the short family reunion, which is my wife's side of the family, you would have good Southern cooking at both of those because my family's from West Virginia and her family is from Kentucky. So we have a particular way of eating and, and a meal that represents where we're from. We have a particular way of eating and a meal that represents that we are citizens of the another kingdom. And that meal represents the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus so that we can live as citizens of a different kingdom. So I invite those that are gonna help us serve to come forward. If you've never partaken with us uh, here in the Eucharist, I just wanna invite you. Um, We have what's called an open table and that open table means that if you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you are more than welcome to come and receive. And if you are somebody who is maybe stirring with faith and you're, you're curious, but all of a sudden you say, hey, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. This would be a great first act of representing that. We're gonna invite you to be dismissed on your left, to come forward, receive, and then return to your seats on your right. And once everybody has, re- has received, then I'll come back up and I'll lead us through the liturgy to partake of this meal together. 
It is not our political party that binds us together. It is not being Americans that just binds us together. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that binds us together. So family, come. The table has been prepared by our Savior. Come and eat and taste because the meal is good. Come to the table.
partake and eat in remembrance of me, our King sacrificed for us. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant, which will be made through my shed blood. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Because Jesus' sacrifice was for all people. Whenever you eat of this cup and you drink of, whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You proclaim that his kingdom is active and present until he comes again. Would you stand with me this morning? Sorry for those that just sat down. (laughs) As you go today, May you go to be salt and light. May wherever you go, may the kingdom of God be where your feet are planted. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.